Bridging the gap between the eye test and the analytics, it's the Staff and Graph Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Dory and Ian Tullock. Welcome to the Staff and Graph Podcast. I'm Rachel. Ian, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic today, and I got to think you're in a similar place because for those who don't know, Rachel Dory used to work for the New Jersey Devils until they parted ways about a year ago. And with the Ray Shiro firing and everything that's come out over the last 24 hours, we're starting to learn what a tire fire the New Jersey organization has been over the last year or so. There seems to be real, no real direction going on there. And Rachel, how are you feeling right now? I know you signed a non-disclosure agreement with them, so you can't say too much. I can't get you sued here, but what can I get out of you from this New Jersey situation? Um, fun fact. So, yeah, um, it was January 12, 2020 when the Devils fired Ray Shiro, and it was January 12, 2019 when I signed my I will no longer be a part of this organization paperwork. So it's it's a year to the day, and um, oh, I don't know if I sound better, but um, obviously uh, it's been tough, Like I would say, even like the past couple months. Um, I'm feeling better, and uh, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice at all, but um, I never like to take pleasure in, in someone losing their job. Like, that's not... That's not the case here, but um, let's. I'm not surprised nor disappointed by this. And for people who don't know, I know you, you and the New Jersey Devils, I guess, mutually parting of ways. You had some mental health stuff going on in your life that you've been able to, I guess, address over the last few months. And I think we're you're you're in a better spot right now. I know I take mental health very seriously. I suffered with, from uh, depression, anxiety a few years ago, so I always try to focus on on doing better. But when it comes to New Jersey, what I wanted to ask you about is the fact that the general manager was recently fired, yet they let him trade away the team's best player and they let him make the decision on firing the coach. What the hell is going on in New Jersey? It, just, it seems like there's no direction right there right now, and I can't really figure out what's going on. I'm not sure if the players do either. Yeah, so I think it's, um, first of all, this podcast, we're going to talk about our biggest surprises of the season, and uh, I think we're going to start here. And one of Ian's biggest surprises, because I know he was kind of high on the Devils um, in August, is the tire fire that has become New Jersey. And for me, um, basically, obviously, they they hired Tyler Dello and Matt Kane, and that's a very analytical direction. Um the owners are very, uh, first of all, they're both billionaires and they both made money off of using analytics to analyze the stock market, I believe. So these people know about numbers and uh, it shouldn't shock you to find out that the majority of the hockey men aren't necessarily crazy about numbers. So when you bring in somebody like Tyler Delaware, Matt Kane, and you mix them with the 200 hockey men, um, that was a decision I didn't think was going to go very well. And it really I'm thinking like the scene in Moneyball, but the opposite, you know. <laughs> yes, actually, exactly. Um, and and quite honestly, I just think that ownership decided that. And when you own a team, you're entitled to do this. Ownership decided that the team either really had no direction, or there were differing directions from what the owners or Tyler Dello believed they should be going in versus what Ray believed 
they should be going in and nothing ever gets done, you basically end up going in circles. So naturally, um, one of those people have to be removed and it's probably not going to be the people that are like-minded to the owners. So Tyler Dello is still there as of today and I would think that he probably remains there for the next little while. Um, And the search begins for a new GM in New Jersey. But I I just, I have to think that this probably has something to do with a a difference of philosophy between ownership and um, hockey operations. Now, there's one interesting opinion that I saw on Twitter, and it was the idea that Ray Shiro's fired because he tried a bunch of, you know, uh, big risk moves in the offseason and they didn't pan out. So he was fired. Whereas if he had been very conservative in the offseason and just re-signed everybody, not traded for anyone, just kind of come back with the exact same roster and the team was struggling a little bit, it wouldn't have been seen as his fault and he might have been able to hang on for an extra year. And the argument is that that's the problem with the NHL is that we tend to, you know, fire GMs when they try creative things and they don't quite work out. But we're so fine with uh, I know back in the day when uh, Shovel Day Off didn't do anything. Uh, I think it was Jeff Merrick who said that he really puts the day off and Shovel Day Off. He wouldn't make any trades. He wouldn't do anything fancy in the offseason. He wouldn't fire Paul Maurice when he absolutely should have. You're totally right in the fact that this gets seen um as a GM taking a risk and therefore um, if it doesn't work out they get fired I will say I don't think that's the case here Um, I think that there was a ton of pressure from ownership to be successful Um, Jeff Merrick said it on Hockey Central on Monday the New Jersey Devils comp the most amount of tickets in the NHL and that means you're not making money like full stop Um, and anyone who watches a game knows that that building isn't full with the comped tickets. So that's obviously not a very good sign. And I think the issue there is when was the last time they were actually good? I know they made that weird playoff run that one year, which is basically before, before they traded Corey Schneider, basically, right? It was 2012 was the year they made the cup final. Mm. Like that's a long time ago. Were they ever good with Corey Schneider? No. I don't believe yeah. so. Um, but what I was going to say is I, I really do think that ownership probably pushed for this. I wasn't there, so I don't know. But based on what I do know, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. And so um, to be honest with you, I thought some of those deals, like I thought the Gusev deal was very good. I really did. And um, the reality... You know what's interesting about him is that uh, his five-on-five uh, kind of shot differential numbers at even strength, he was getting crucified the first couple months of the season. But if you look at his point production, he's actually top 10 in the league in points per 60. So he's that dynamic skill player who does, he doesn't play a lick of defense. That's kind of what he is. He is most successful when he is playing with defensively minded players. And New Jersey actually has one of the best in the league in Blake Coleman. I think he's wildly underrated. Um, do I think he's a second liner? Absolutely not. But he is wildly underrated, and uh, Gusev is very good when he plays with him, and his production has shot through the roof. I think I saw something where he's like top five in assists per 60 or something like that now. Um, But realistically, back to the whole swinging for the fences and and failing, I think that uh, based on what I, I know, I think that management probably wanted to go in a rebuild direction and ownership said absolutely not so ray pulled off a bunch of pretty good trades and signings um and it just they didn't gel and then ultimately when 
I would assume he said, let's let's actually rebuild or whatever he said. The owner said the opposite. And when that happens, that's when you have an underperforming team um, with a GM that potentially doesn't agree with, with ownership, which has been reported um, by people who are far more connected than me. And uh, so you think ownership wants this team to make a playoff push instead of rebuilding yes. or the other way around? I know or? that. That I know. Okay. Full stop. So, yeah. That just seems messed up to me because they seem like they clearly need a rebuild. I mean, they 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 have the first overall pick in Jack Hughes this year, Nico Hischier. When are they going to be winning a cup? Not in the next year or two. It's, it's going to be three, four, five years when they're going to be real contenders. They're so. not going to win a cup until they have a goaltender with over a 920 save percentage. How about over an 890 save percentage or whatever Mackenzie Blackwood say <laughs> about league average? Let's just start there. Yeah, but I would say like there's definitely Ray did a good job and it's not just Ray. Like it's Tom Fitzgerald, it's Dan McKinnon especially. He doesn't get near the credit he deserves. Um for restocking that cupboard same with Paul Castron who's their director of amateur scouting. Um bringing in guys like Heesher and Hughes and Brat. Um Listen, like, are there good pieces there? Yes. The problem that I see is that the Devils are owned by Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, who also own Crystal Palace and the Philadelphia 76ers, and both of those owners own multi-billion dollar companies. So the Devils are the smallest piece of a small piece of the owner's pie. So they don't get all of the research and attention and and stuff that maybe a different owner would dedicate themselves to. Um, I think that's potentially a problem because if your ownership isn't in tune with what's going on and then they just come in and expect um, certain results, um, maybe you're just not on that timeline. So I think that that potentially is a problem there. Um, but I don't they think it should have been. Revenue now? Yeah, like I don't think it should have been the tire fire that it has been over the past year and a bit. I like, I don't think that it should have been that bad. I think this is part of a trickier conversation we never have uh, often enough in sports. When we get mad at a GM for making a dumb trade, what I think of is Jim Benning. It's like, oh my God, Jim Benning, how can you go out and sign Tyler Myers to that contract or trade assets for Eric Goodbranson? And even though I don't think that's the wisest use of money, when ownership is telling you that you need to make a buy now trade instead of a sell now trade, then that's what the owner's gonna. That's what the GM's gonna have to go out and do. And even if you're not a fan of the moves that the general manager is making, well, the reason he's probably pushing in that direction that's opposite to what you want is because ownership is forcing him to do it, or they'll find someone else who will. So, at some point, meddling owners are a factor in these things in sports, and I don't think we consider it often enough. Oh yeah, and especially in hockey, um, I know it's prevalent. Um, and so that's kind of that situation but the fact that there was odd verbiage in the press release like the press release said that they mutually parted ways and then you have the press conference saying that he was fired well it's kind of like okay well which one is it because one of it's kind of legal a's and the other one is out and out he got fired um so i think that there was maybe some misjudgment in how this all needed to be announced um, because it was done pretty brashly two hours before a game which is obviously not ideal 
Um, and not to mention the fact that the Devils play in Toronto tonight. And if anyone hasn't noticed, um, Toronto has the most media, like, hockey-wise, in the world. So if you're trying to create a shitstorm, uh, congratulations, because that poor PR staff is going to have a mountain of questions fired at them from various people. It was all over the Toronto airwaves the past 24 hours. And so I think it's kind of created an unnecessary amount of press. It's almost like this could have been avoided with a, a, a organization that knew what direction it was going in, but doesn't seem to be something where everyone was on the same page. And you know what? Let's turn the page and talk about a different team now. I want to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're one of my biggest surprises of the season. Not because they're good, because they're excellent when Sidney Crosby doesn't play. They're excellent when Evgeny Malkin doesn't play. They're they're just phenomenal this season. They're dominant at 5-on-5. The power play's been phenomenal. Brian Rust has been a legit top 10 player in the league this year. It's unbelievable. I mean, is Mike Sullivan right now, would he be first on your ballot for the Jack Adams consideration? Just because I can't believe what he's done with this squad of, and and I gotta be honest, when Crosby and Malkin aren't playing, I don't recognize half the names on Pittsburgh's roster. Oh, like you could put a name generator on it and I would probably be like, yeah, that's okay. Seems about right. Yeah, I think uh, Acting the Foolman had a tweet. He's like, you, you just know that they could have a player like Mike Bonk and he'd put <laughs> up 40 points at the end of the year and just go, wait, who the hell's that guy? And Mike Sullivan just turns this team into a, a factory of, of production and generating offense off the rush. And they're outscoring their opponents. They're out shooting, out chancing their opponents. Christian Jari is good. Who? Like, what the hell is this team? It's fascinating. And I'm... I'm here for the ride. It's been a lot of fun. I absolutely love the whole, oh, Crosby's out and Malkin is getting older and the Penguins are injured and therefore we should count them out. If you haven't learned by now not to count out the Pittsburgh Penguins, I don't know what to tell you. Um, Mike Sullivan is clearly one hell of a coach. I don't think that is up for discussion. Um, He probably would be... um, Definitely in the top three for me, uh, for the Jack Adams. I got to think Barry Trotz would be in there. Um, yeah, he's probably in there. If the Leafs continue on their trajectory, Sheldon Keefe is going to be in there. Absolutely. Maybe uh, Travis Green in Vancouver. I was going to really say, like yeah, like I really like the job Travis Green's doing. I feel like he's done a great job over the last few years, honestly. It's just now they finally have enough talent to actually make a playoff push. Right. Um, and if John Hines gets Nashville turned around, then uh, I'll be banging that drum. Wow, bringing up John Hines like that, unprovoked. Oh, yeah, you that. know. Um, <laughs> but I would say that the Pittsburgh Penguins, they're a wagon right now. That's the best way to put it. They are a wagon. And now, what happens when Crosby comes back and they start struggling? Clearly, it was 87's fault, right? (laughs) And maybe he should be traded or something stupid like that. No. Crosby for McDavid, who says no? (laughs) Edmonton. (laughs) Um, But honestly, the fact that... I think the fact that Pittsburgh can remain the wagon they remain when guys like Crosby or Malkin go down. And let's point out that Malkin's been in his own words, fire since Crosby has been injured. 
Um, and what people don't realize is that Malkin actually wasn't himself over the last two seasons. No. There was one season where his point production was fantastic, but his play driving was terrible. There's another season where uh, you know the play driving was a bit better, but the point production wasn't there. This year, dominant at five on five. When he's on the ice, he's living in the offensive zone, generating tons of shots, tons of chances, and he's putting up the points at both five on five and on the power play. He's been a freak. I don't think he's, you know, quite in that heart consideration category just because of, you know, how good guys like McDavid and McKinnon and company have been. But Malkin's back to being Evgeny Malkin, which is so much fun to see. He's one of my favorite players to watch, especially in those games where he gets really pissed off. Yeah, like when he gets the angry Russian look about him, then he turns into I am six foot four, also the Hulk, also I have the silkiest hands on a big man in the NHL and will end you. And so for me, um I've loved watching Malkin play this year. Um it seems like he's a bit of a human highlight reel. Um and I think he, he makes the players around him better, which um is an indictment of a lot of other players is they don't make the players around them better. And it's very clear that other players in Pittsburgh are benefiting from how well Melkin's playing. Uh, Another big one for me is Jake Gensel, who I was on the record to say I didn't like the contract that was given to him. I thought he was more a product but of Crosby. But now he's out than... for, like, months. <sighs> and that's unfortunate because yeah. I thought he was doing so oh, well. He was you know what I mean? Terrific and for them. And he was doing it without Crosby. And that was the big thing because yeah. he was an elite point producer in college and in the AHL. So it's not like, you know, he hadn't done it at, at other levels before, but I wasn't sure if he was a legit, you know, first line player and he, and he looked like one this year. And it's so unfortunate with the injuries. We're seeing a, a few major injuries lately. I know I'm a Leafs fan. Morgan Riley's going to be out for the next two months. It always sucks when teams get yeah. injuries like these, but if there's one team that can overcome a slew of injuries, apparently it's the Pittsburgh a- Bengals. Apparently they could make up a dude and put him in the lineup, and he's got 30 points. Top six, first unit power play, doesn't miss a beat. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Speaking of, of surprises, um, we talk about the Penguins being able to sustain being the Penguins. Um, what's going on in San Jose? Because they just fired their entire coaching staff um, before Christmas, and they look old and decrepit, and their goaltending is bad again. Like, what's happening? I'm wondering if management should have been fired, too. Because, like, they literally have two Norris Trophy-winning defensemen. How are you giving up this many goals? How did they come into this season with Martin Jones and Aaron Dell and, and think to themselves, yep, yeah, this is the answer? When it was the biggest problem the year before, how do you not go out and acquire a goalie like Jimmy Howard? How do you not address that situation? Or the fact that Tristan Jory was available for apparently a third round pick? How do you not? <laughs> how do you sign that Mark Edward Vlasic contract, which we don't talk about enough? I think it's the worst contract in the NHL right now because he looks like he's cooked. At age 32, he looks like he can't survive a shift against tough competition, which is what he's being paid to do. $7 million for the next seven years oh until 2020. God. Like, It's the Brent Seabook contract, and we're not talking about it, but it is. And it's a horrific contract that shouldn't have been signed. His money should have been given to someone like Joe Pavelski, who they're really missing. What a lot of people don't realize is that he's the best tip artist in the NHL when it comes to deflections. You know, that JVR, uh, Thomas Holmstrom kind of stuff. And a lot of Brent Burns' point shots turned into great deflections thanks to Joe Pavelski. And that helped Brent Burns, you know, put up his monster numbers in the power play and helped Joe Pavelski get his goals. 
without Joel Pavelski, if you look at the shot quality of San Jose, a lot of uh, shots are coming from the point, and they're really struggling to generate those high-danger shots from in tight. I think that they gave the the money to the wrong player. I think they gave uh, Pavelski's money to Vlasic, and they're paying for it right now because whenever Vlasic's on the ice, the team's getting destroyed. Brent Burns is struggling at 5-on-5 five five this year. They don't look like the elite team at 5-on-5 five five that we saw last year that was being undone by goaltending. They just look like a bad team, and it's it's weird considering some of the names on that roster. Yeah, it's it's almost difficult to watch, and, and you look at it, and, and you think, is this really Peter DeBoer's fault? Because I don't really think it was. But at the same time, when you look at the talent on the roster and the results, they right. don't match up. And they and you're completely right from that perspective. But I seriously wonder if those are players that just won't be sustainable stars into their 30s. And now they have these massive contracts that you can't do anything about. Logan Couture is sneaky old. He's 30. And injured now. I wouldn't be shocked to see the the Sharks be sellers at the deadline and try and recoup from one of those like quick turnaround rebuild situations. And you know the the good news is that they have their their first round pick this year at uh, oh, oh no that's right no the Ottawa Senators have uh, the San Jose Sharks top after you bet. trading away their own top five pick. Ottawa might inherit a top five pick this year. How great would that be? Could you imagine if they got San Jose's pick and got like. Quinton Byfield or something silly like that. I was going to say Ottawa would love a a Frenchie in Lafreniere. See, okay, this is galaxy brain me. I want the Habs to get Alexi Lafreniere. I want the Habs or the Senators to get him. Yeah. And I want him to get run out of town. No, I want to see him (laughs) succeed. I think it would be so good there. It's my inner Leafs fan. I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, I I can tell. Whereas I think it would be great to see Montreal have a French star. I really do. It actually would be a lot of fun. I know Jonathan yeah. Drouin isn't quite a star, but seeing him do well there and seeing the fans finally embrace him, it has been pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like Jonathan Drouin and Alexi Lafreniere are two different things. Yeah, Jonathan Drouin is like a, a winger that you kind of need to shelter on an offensive second line, and he can play first unit power play, and he's like, you know, that 60-point player that you really like. But Lafreniere looks like a franchise cornerstone. Yeah, and like even though he's a winger, it's kind of like an Ovechkin-type situation where, yeah, he's a winger, and he's still probably going to be the best player on the ice on 90% of the evenings. Yeah, so is Kucherov, so is Patrick Kane. You don't need to be a center to Neon impact Dry the game like a, like a top-10 player in the league. Yeah, Taylor Hall in his MVP season. Huh, love a good MVP season. Yeah, I just, I mean, San Jose's in some big trouble, and Ottawa's probably going to benefit from that. Um, because even if it's a top 10 pick, you're still looking at, uh, Holtz, Tim Stutzla, like there are some high quality players, Marco Rossi at the top end of the draft and can't wait for him to fall because he's short. Um, most people don't know who those players are, but uh, I can guarantee you the 2020 draft is loaded. Oh my god, it's not it's not a great draft to trade away a top 10 pick. Mm, no, would not recommend yeah. Why why wasn't it protected? It's so easy to throw in trade protection into a trade. It's so dumb. So dumb. This is why I think uh Doug Wilson also should have been fired. But Okay, so speaking of Ottawa, there's a surprise or two in Ottawa, is there not? Uh so you wanted to talk about Jean Gabriel Pajot. I wanted to talk about Anthony Duclair. We can just talk about them both. I was gonna say yeah, the they're both amazing. <laughs> Ottawa's been competitive this year. They're obviously you look at the talent on their roster, they're not gonna be able to keep up, you know, goal wise with other teams in the league. 
but they've been playing well. And and John Gabriel Pajot is a sneaky selkie candidate, in my opinion. I, he's never going to get the consideration because he doesn't have the points, I don't think. And I, I don't which think is trash. That he, that's a terrible way to evaluate. I don't like it. I don't like it because that's not what the award technically is, but. The award isn't really best defensive player in the NHL. It's basically best two-way forward in the NHL is really what it's been over the last 10 or 15 years. But Pajot has been fantastic defensively. He's been really good at 5-on-5. Five five. And Anthony Duclair has 21 goals in 44 games. Yeah, he's got 32 points in 44 His games. His Ottawa team is surprisingly fun, despite the fact that this was supposed to be a lost season. I can see why fans are happy about the effort every night because the team's been surprisingly decent. Yeah, and you know what? Like, kudos, I would just like to say that. Kudos to Anthony Duclair because he has been in a few different spots. He's been called out by various coaches and organizations saying that the effort level isn't there or you just can't put it together. Whatever excuse you want to look up. He gets an opportunity in Ottawa, and he has grabbed it and sprinted down the track with it. Like he he has had an unbelievable year, and it's not like he's getting gimme goals either. These are high-end talent, high-skilled goal scorer goals. And an interesting thing about him is that I was looking at his expected goals because I'm thinking, okay, 21 goals, that shooting percentage, he must be shooting way over his head. He's actually underperforming what's expected based on his locations. So he's getting to his shot volume is high, but the shot quality is also high. He's getting to those tight areas. When we talk about the house, he's getting into the house. He's getting into the slot. He's getting to good shooting locations. And he should be scoring even more based on the the shots he's been generating. So just a fantastic year by a player who I've, I've always thought he was incredibly talented. I remember when he played in Quebec. Yeah, I remember when he's called up by the Rangers for a few games, and he looked really fast to me. I was thinking, damn, that's a really skilled player. I'm excited to see what he can do. They weren't able to develop him in New York. Arizona got him 20 goals that first year for Arizona, but they were never able to turn him into the Anthony Duclair that a lot of people wanted to see. He went to Chicago. He went to Columbus. Didn't really work out. It's crazy to see that on his... How many teams is that now? That's one, two three, four, five teams. He's his fifth NHL team. He's really starting to break out and become that player that we all thought he could be when he was doing so well in the World Juniors and for the New York Rangers in his initial call-up. Never really put it all together, but I'm, I'm so happy to see that he, he finally looks like that true goal scorer that we all saw way back when. What do you think it is that's helped him break out like this? Because I'm not really sure where it came from. I honestly, like, I think it just boils down to the fact that he's actually getting an opportunity in Ottawa. He's playing almost 17 minutes a night. He's playing regularly on the power play. He's playing at the top end of the lineup because Ottawa basically doesn't have anything else. And he has performed. And he has finally been given the chance to show what he can do with confidence from his coach. And he's rewarded the Sens organization by delivering, right? He's, he's gonna, he's probably gonna get 60 points this year. That is far in a way better than what they expected when they got him, I'm sure. Yeah, 30 goals in all likelihood. Yeah, which, I mean, well, that's gonna be a raise. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you find a 30-goal scorer, those don't just grow on trees, right? That doesn't happen by accident need to be a really talented player to even have the upside of, of that. Exactly. So I, I am genuinely happy for him. I, I really like that he's got this opportunity and um, that he's taken full advantage of it. And I think that Ottawa would be wise to keep him. 
All right, so we went through our biggest surprise of the year. I got one more I want us to touch on. Uh, Carolina's goaltending has always been their undoing. You know, they've always been that team who outshoots, outchances the opponents at 5-on-5, five five, but, oh, their shooting percentage is low. They don't have enough talent up front, and their save percentage is a tire fire. The goaltenders just suck. Their goaltending's been fantastic this year. Uh, both James Reimer and Petr Mrazek are in the top 10 of my favorite goaltender stat, which is the, the goals that you save um, above expected, what's expected of you based on the shot locations. They're both outperforming what's expected of them to a significant degree, to a top 10 level in the NHL. I'm really happy really? for James Reimer. Yeah, it's it's been ridiculous. And I just, I I would never have expected no. that. I have... <laughs> I, I watch a lot of Carolina, and I think, you know, I love this team at 5-on-5, five five, but I always thought, you know, ah, the goaltending is going to be an issue. Their goaltenders have been good this year. So I'm not sure if that's more of a problem, because if their goaltender has been good, and they've been good at 5-on-5, five five, shouldn't they be, like, first in the league? So And the power play has been good, too. So maybe the scoring at 5-on-5 five five is something that we're going to have to see a bit more of to, to see them as a legitimate contender. But I love this Carolina team, you know, outside of the crease. And now that they're finally looking like an above-average team inside the crease, I'm thinking, holy crap, maybe this is the year they make a legitimate run in the playoffs. Well, let's be fair. They made the conference final last year. Um, which That is fair. You would have just, to say I, is I, a legit run. It, it, it didn't seem like that because like, they didn't score on Tuka Rask. <laughs> yeah. But like to say it's not a legit run when you are one of the final four teams, I would think is unfair. But... I think Were they one of the final four teams? Yes. You get swept in the conference finals. Yes. Does it really count? As a Raptors fan, I don't think it counts okay, when LeBron well, embarrasses you in a round. Well, they were there, so that matters. Um, and I think that they are built for long-term sustained success. Um, the Aho deal is hilariously valuable already. Um, Much better than the Mitch Marner contract. Yeah, don't let's not go down that road. We've already argued about that, both on this podcast and over a text message. And in real life over a beer. Yes, we also <laughs> did that, but I feel like we're both in agreement that it's just not good. Um, and I think that if now that they're finally getting some stable goaltending, um, if it lasts through the playoffs and they're doing the tandem thing, which you know how I feel about a goaltending tandem, um, I think that they could make some noise again in the playoffs. And their power play is actually good, which has always been a problem with them. And now with Svechnikov as the trigger man, he's on the left side of the ice. They like him, you know, firing that strong side wrist shot, strong side one-timer. Um, they have Tivo Teravainen on the right flank and Dougie Hamilton as the quarterback at the blue line. And Hamilton's been fantastic. I mean, is he top three in Norris consideration right now? Got to be top five, right? Well, he goes to museums, so can we really consider him? I don't know. Not if I'm a hockey man. Yeah. Um, I don't know. 200 so, hockey men hate Dougie Hamilton. Speaking of surprises... Uh, Almost as much as they hate William Nylander. Kale McCarr? Like, also in that conversation, potentially? Quinn Hughes also in, in that, that conversation. conversation. <laughs> the two rookies have been phenomenal this year. I think they're both top five in puck touches per game. Like, also, the let's always clarify something right now. If y you think that someone not named Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes deserves to win the Calder, you are wrong. Like, a full stop, at least I thought right you were going to say Norris, and I'm like, hold on, Norris, no, no, no. there's a discussion. Calder, you are wrong. Like, I don't know Ilya what to tell is my number one on my ballot, you know. But, like, I honestly, now that these ballots are public, if I see, like, 
just these random people getting votes and then you have Kill Macar like fourth on your ballot, you literally just shouldn't be able to vote anymore because in It reminds me of when Eric Carlson was left oh. off of a few ballots for the Norris and you're just thinking, this is some personal agenda. You gotta be yeah. kidding me. Like just honestly, the it's so clear this year that either Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr deserve to win the Calder. The fact that they're anywhere near the conversation for the Norris just cements that has They've both been the top case. 10 defensemen in the NHL this season, which is when I was thinking of, hey, what's Vancouver's path to making the playoffs this year? I'm thinking Quinn Hughes is a legit number one defenseman in his first pro season, and he has been, as has Kale McCarr. They've both been so much fun to watch. Two of the best skaters in the league. Quinn Hughes has better edge work. I think Kale McCarr has better like acceleration, his explosiveness at top speed. But Colorado and Vancouver have both become must-watch teams for me because late at night, there's nothing like watching Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson move the puck around or Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr attack teams off the rush. They've been super fun teams to watch because of how explosive those defensemen have been. Yeah, and I I absolutely love watching those two defensemen play. And I think that they are going to be stars in this league for probably the next 15 years it's going and to be they were really both drafted good. very high Kale McCarr drafted fourth overall Quinn Hughes projected to go in the top five slipped to seventh I believe yeah and I would assume that um Vancouver specifically Judd Brackett who's their director of amateur scouting was probably like sprinting up to the stage to draft him at seven because I certainly didn't think Quinn Hughes was going to be there and I don't think Vancouver did either Benning's interview after, like right afterwards was hilarious because you could tell he, he, <laughs> he was, was like, um, like, we were not expecting him to be here. And of course we took him. We, we you know, couldn't get enough of his tape. We thought he'd go in the top four. So Yeah, like I know Man. some teams who had him at three. And I think they're honestly, in hindsight, I think that's probably the right call. Uh, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, maybe maybe he could have gone one if we redraft it today. I mean, I don't know, because, okay, so Rasmus Dahlin, who was kind of thrown in the fire in Buffalo, and I think he's probably owed uh, a little bit of development time uh, under Ralph Kruger. Um, there's also Andrei Shveshnikov. Um, but then after that, you have Kotkaniemi, I would take Hughes over. Brady Kachuk, I would take Hughes over. Barrett Hayton, I love him, but I would take Quinn Hughes over him. Philip Zadina, I would take Quinn Hughes over him. But it's funny how in a couple of years, Rasmus Dahlin versus Quinn Hughes, I think is a legitimate discussion now. And I don't think that was anywhere near close when they were drafted. Right. Um, and we'll see. Like, you never know with Dahlin's, like the fact that he's had, I think, three or no, he's had two NHL coaches already. If not, and he's stuck in Buffalo. I just, with his high-end talent, I feel like there's more upside there with Dahlin. Right, right which is why now, I don't think I it's think... fair to judge it immediately, but you're definitely right in the fact that this is a lot more of a conversation than we thought it was going to be. Um, and Quinn Hughes has been much better this season. And I don't really think it'll ever be a discussion as it pertains to Adam Boquist or Evan Bouchard. Like, I, I just can't fathom... Um, well, no, Quinn Hughes, I think everyone had him number one ranked defenseman in that draft, didn't they? Or sorry, number two yes. behind Dahlien. Um, yeah. I, would, I would think that maybe some teams had him ranked number two overall. But, like, then again, I know a lot of teams were high on Noah Dobson, the combination of like you know the size and the, the speed. Some teams were the... really high on him, and some teams are really low on him. That was a super weird one. 
Evan Bouchard was another one where some teams are just saying, he, you know, he can't skate. So I, I don't know how we can possibly draft this guy in the first round. Whereas other people are thinking, this guy's an elite point producer in his draft year. How can you not have him in your top 10? And it's, uh, it's always interesting when you get to draft lists and you, and you see a certain person or a certain team's draft list. And it's wildly different from what you'd think it would be. It, it's not like watching, uh, it's not like looking at the... What's Jeremy Davis, what he does when he takes uh, a consolidated draft ranking from all of the, the top scouting services, and there seems to be a general consensus, mm-hmm. whereas if you look at an individual's list, it looks much more like a Craig Button list, where one player might be drastically higher on a list, one player might be drastically lower on a list. It's, it's always interesting getting to know what certain teams think of certain players. Alrighty, I think uh, that's kind of our uh, su- surprises of the season. Um... You ready to hop on the ice for our Kovalev shift? All right. The Kovalev shift brought to you by Major League Sox. Got a, got a pitch line for us, Rachel. I know you're always good at pumping them up. Yeah, I was. You, uh, they're definitely the most comfy socks. I wear them every game day. Um, there's alumni. Um, there are current players. There might be a staff and graph edition coming up soon. Um, but you use the code staff, graph, at checkout there's no space in between um and you get 15 percent off and um that's kind of the best way to support uh the podcast as well as uh some great folks at major league socks so you can find them uh, majorleaguesocks.com or ml socks on twitter um we always tweet it out with our podcast so we're hopping on the ice here and ian we're gonna talk about your favorite thing what are we talking about we're talking about the zach cassian matthew kachuk incident uh can i ask you a question Go for it. The first hit that Matthew Kachuk laid on Zach Cassian when Cassian was coming. His first of two dirty hits? Yes. Okay, so there are some players who said it was clean, and then you have, we've been long advocating to have players like Paul Correa and Mark Savard in um, player safety, and uh, this is a reason why. Um, and then you have players like Scotty Upshaw and Ray Ferraro and Timu Solani coming out on Twitter publicly saying, like, good for Zach Cassian, which we'll get to in a minute, because what Matthew Kuchuk did needs to be out of the game. And so I think you and I both agree that um, at very minimum, the first hit was horrendous. Yeah, uh, it, I, <laughs> I feel like... There's nothing else to say. The first hit was awful. The second hit was bad, too. Yeah, like the first, first hit, hit he took four worse. strides and went through the guy's head to the point where he created torsion to remove the helmet. And everyone's like, oh, but he touched his shoulder. Yeah, don't care. Principal point of contact was the head. Yeah, it doesn't need to be the first thing you touch. It's where is most of the contact and most of the force going. And a lot of it went to the head, you know? And the so, fact that he took four strides was completely ridiculous. Yeah, that that's could have been five for charging. <laughs> yeah, you don't forget about the head, you know? That's five for charging. But I, I don't understand why the league is so okay with the stuff that Matthew Kachuk does and Brad Marchand does. It, it, to me, I find it embarrassing. And what Zach Cassian did wasn't great either. You're not supposed to, you know, mindlessly pound a dude who doesn't want to fight. I know that that's always been one of the big things uh, when Sean Thornton, I think, was one of the last ones to to do something like this, where, you, you know, you punch, sucker punch someone when they don't want to fight. But Matthew Kachuk, it wasn't a sucker punch because he was ready to fight and he chose not to. And- so here's, okay, I generally agree with you in that if a guy clearly doesn't want to fight, you shouldn't be able to do that. Having said that, 
Matthew Kachuk continuously lays some dirty hits and does things like spear guys in the nuts, and he happens to lay two horrendous hits, which somehow weren't suspended, and he does it on a guy who has the capability to beat the living snot out of him, and then when that guy calls him on the carpet to settle it, he turtles. Do you not have a problem with that? Like, if you're going to lay that hit, you better answer for it. Are you saying that we need a a penalty for turtling? No, I'm saying that (laughs) Matthew Kachuk, if you're going to play like that, you better answer the bell at some point. You can't just do that kind of nonsense on a regular basis. Well, what you're saying, what the league's saying is that, yes, you can. Which is an entirely different discussion. But that's the message they're sending it's by so not penalizing bad. these hits, by uh, suspending Zach Kassian, who, by the way, I think should be suspended. I think Matthew Kachuk should also be suspended. I think you need to send a message that both these things were bad. And what they're sending the message of is they're saying, yeah, the Zach Kassian thing is bad. Matthew Kachuk, eh, keep playing like that. It's all good. And, and, and guess what Kassian's first game back is? It's against Calgary. Yeah. Really looking forward to it. What could possibly uh, go wrong? Uh, is this the biggest rivalry in sports right now, or is Matthew Kachuk and Drew Doughty the biggest? <laughs> I was going to say and anyone who hates Matthew Kachuk, but that Kachuk Doughty. Uh, if LA were any good, that would be a fantastic rivalry. So here's a question, because you and I both know this happens in the NHL. How many guys are going to buy Zach Cassian dinner for for doing what he did to Kachuk? How many guys have wanted to do that to Matthew Kachuk? And Finally, Zach Cassian grabbed him and ragdolled him. Because I at the same spoke- time, I don't think you can be happy about that happening in you know in the NHL because then it's going to happen more often. And I don't want guys getting ragdolled when they don't want to fight. Right, but-, but at the same time, then don't go hitting someone like that. I am certainly not advocating for ragdolling. What I'm advocating for is if you're going to be a dirty hockey player, you better damn well answer the bell when someone but calls what happens- you on the carpet. What happens when you try to ragdoll someone after a clean hit? Because that's going to drive me nuts. Right, I'm that you and I are not okay with. There shouldn't be a fight after a clean hit, but I think you and I both agree that Matthew Kuchuk is a dirty hockey player. I do not like him. Right. But I also loved his response after the game for what it's worth. Uh, yeah, and let's also take a second to say that Cassian's comments just weren't appropriate, and I think that there was basically nothing that was properly handled about this situation, whether it be what happened on the ice to the postgame comments to the suspension or lack thereof suspension and i think with that um we'll just reinforce the fact that um the department of uh in air quotes player safety needs an overhaul and i think ian and i are getting tired so we're gonna hop off the ice for our kovalev shift been floating around here for a few minutes definitely feels like kovalev let's get to the mailbag i put out a tweet i think around 9 30 p.m asking for some uh, mailbag questions alex higgins asked uh, did you just wake up and uh, <laughs> that would be close to my wake up time. Uh, no, I didn't didn't wake up at nine thirty p.m. today. But congratulations! Well, what time yeah, did you wake up today? <laughs> well, it's, it, today was a weird one because I had to get an article in, so I, w- I woke up a bit earlier, and then I got the article in, and then I had a nap kind of for a few hours. <laughs> Sometimes that happens with me. My sleep schedule is off and on because I have to peak during the Leafs games. I have to peak from seven p.m. to after the Leafs game around eleven p.m. So I'm going to bed a bit later, but sometimes I need to be up at 10 a.m. for a radio hit, or sometimes I need to be up for a, an article or something. So I do it, and then I catch up on the sleep a bit later. Or some some nights I'll sleep in more than eight hours, but naps are the I don't best. Think that's though, healthy. Can confirm. From what I hear, continuous sleep is better for you. Okay, but, well, naps. <laughs> uh, 
better question here from Ali. What's the best way to assess a goalie's performance overall? What are you looking for to determine whether he's playing poorly or if the team in front of him isn't performing well? Um, okay, my first response to that is uh, go find Kat Silverman on Twitter because her goalie analysis is terrific. Um, the second thing is uh, I have done a lot of this at York lately because we can't seem to get a stop. For me, um, when I look at it, is the rebound, where are the rebounds going? Are they going in the slot or are they being directed? Is the goalie challenging or is he back in his crease? If I'm looking at the goalie, do I see a ton of net and a ton of openings? Um, And when goals are scored, are goals getting scored in legit places or are they squeaking, are they going through the goaltender? So like between his arm and his body or in the five hole, because that's usually not a great sign. Um, if you give up odd man rushes and you blame your goaltender, then um, you probably need to be looking elsewhere. And this is one of the big problems I have with the expected goals because it's, it's not perfect. Right. Because they don't take odd man rushes into account. They don't, don't take cross-ice passes into account. And those are going to drastically affect a goaltender's save well, percentage. Like, okay, so. so at York on the weekend, like we had, um, I think it was like maybe last weekend, uh, we gave up five goals. One was an empty netter. And three of the four that went in on a goalie were either two-on-ones or breakaways. So, like, exactly what are you expecting at that point? I mean, Whereas a save if a on, on one of them. Getting, uh, well, first of all, one was a three-on-one, which is a little, that's asking a little much. Um, But yeah, like, you hope to get a save on one of them. But what I'm saying is, is if you're routinely asking your goaltender to put up that kind of performance, um, that's usually not great. But then again, if you see shots going in from the point unscreened, that's usually an indication that the goalie's not tracking the puck well. If a goalie's really jumpy in the net, his feet are always moving, he never seems to get himself set, um, that's usually an indicator that there's a problem, he's playing nervous. Um, yeah, for me, that's um, there's a couple signs I look for that people uh, who are much better at evaluating goaltenders than I am um, have kind of given me some guidance on. Yeah, and that's what I'm learning with goaltending is that as much as I'm a numbers guy when it comes to evaluating forwards because there's a lot of stuff to work on there, defensemen when it comes to their puck moving ability, their gap control, how many shots they allow when they're on the ice. With goaltenders, the public data isn't great, but you, you can use the stuff at Evolving Hockey. You know, the goal saved above expected there is the best thing we have publicly. Um, in the private sphere, there's some really cool stuff at, at a place like ClearSight Analytics, and they take cross-ice passes and odd man rushes into account. So their expected goals model is a bit more powerful, or, or something like Sport Logic. Obviously, none of that stuff's public, but when they put out a top five list, or when they talk about the fact that um, Jakob Markstrom over the last two years has been a top five goal in the NHL, I would believe them because that data is very good. And you know, when you take shot quality into account properly. Then, then yeah, th- those numbers are good. The problem is that the public sphere doesn't take all those factors into account so well. So it's not fantastic, but at least it's something for goaltenders. I find that in the public sphere, I rely a bit on the uh, data. I rely on expert opinions, particularly uh, you know anyone I hear out of ClearSight Analytics, anyone like Jamie Noodles, McLennan. Uh, who are some of your favorite goaltender goaltending analysts? Because it's really a position where. I think expert opinions and, you know, uh, the quote-unquote eye test is much more important when it comes to evaluating players. Um, okay, well, you just mentioned one. Noodles. Um, I think he's great. Uh, like I said, Kat Silverman. She does 
amazing work. I highly recommend that you that you look um, into some of that. I really like Steve really like Paul. Oh, Steve Valiquet, he's the head of ClearSight Analytics. Really like him. Paul Campbell just came to mind. And really anyone from In Goal Magazine. Yeah, I was going to say In Goal a- Magazine. Um, I, maybe um, he, he's certainly not available to the public, but I like Scott Clemenson and Rolly Melanson a lot. Like I think very highly of their work, and, and they were definitely instrumental in, in pointing me in certain directions for uh, goaltender evaluation. Um, so if they ever end up in the public eye or there's ever um, any quotes um i highly recommend that you take a look at those um but if you're just evaluating goaltenders based on you know raw save percentage not a good idea it's not enough and especially in a small sample it, it means nothing so right okay um this isn't necessarily a question but it's something that you and i both agree with and it's a quote so i'll read it panarin that's it that's the tweet nothing else have a good one and that's a good tweet because Panarin's been unreal this year. Uh, that New York Rangers team as a whole at five on five is a tire fire. Uh, David Quinn has not done a good job at, you know, organizing any kind of structure to get that team to play anywhere decently uh, in their own end without the puck. They look like a bunch of young kids who don't want to play defense. With that being said, Panarin's been phenomenal, elite point producer. Uh, he's really made that power play click. He's driving play well. I think he's third in the NHL in primary points per 60. Oh, he's first in the NHL in points per 60. There you go. Yeah, and uh, I think it's probably important to point out that um, they have Henrik Lundqvist, and outside of that, they have uh, Alex Georgiev and Igor Shishjorkin, who are probably two of the better goaltending prospects in the NHL right now. Future Leaf, Alex Georgiev. Uh, yeah, I have a piece coming out on that uh Tuesday. So by the time you listen to this podcast, that piece will be out. Um, Is it a why the Leafs should trade for Alex Georgiev? It's why and how they could make it work. Uh, interesting. And it's long term, short term, all of that. But um, yeah, the Rangers are relying on goaltending, which uh, is never a good idea because that's a house of cards waiting to come down. Um, but Panarin, uh, according to Chris, has been very good. And uh, according to my eyeballs and Ian's eyeballs, and anyone with a decent set of eyes and an understanding of hockey uh, knows that he's been nothing short of spectacular this year. I put out a hot take. I want to say this was a year or two ago. I think it was two years ago. He before had five Tavares. points on Monday night, by the way. That doesn't shock me. He's phenomenal. I put out this tweet two years ago. I said that I'd rather have Artemi Panarin than John Tavares. When it, it came out that Artemi Panarin was available you know, on, on the trade market and this is before John Tavares had, you know, gone to the Leafs and free agency. It's when both players' futures were up in the air. And I was thinking, hey, Panarin is a more dynamic talent. I think you can build a power play around him. I think he's the better point producer. I know John Tavares is probably the better goal scorer, but who would you rather have in a vacuum, Panarin or Tavares? Is it be- is Tavares because of the center position? Um, yeah. I would say um you, I would take either of them. Let's just say that. Um, but yeah, I, I would probably take Tavares, um, just specifically because of the center position. However, if you promised me that Panarin was going to play with Matthews, then I would take Panarin. Because I'm thinking Panarin, top 10 player in the world, definitely top 20. Mm, yeah. Top 15, maybe. Making this list, I've tried it before. It's very difficult, and you end up with... 
a player who you're thinking, oh, it's clearly a top 10 player in the world. But then you're like, wait, no, he doesn't fit into my top 10. You have him 11th, 12th, 13th, and you get really mad at yourself. Top 10 lists are the worst. Every time I have to make one for the athletic, there's always a player or two that I can't include in there. And I always hear about that from that team's fan base. But how could you not include this player? And I want to. But when you shorten things down to 10, all of a sudden there are great names that you have to leave off. And it hurts. And I think Panarin might be one of those players who's not quite in the top 10. But man, he's a phenomenal talent. Okay. And um, last question. Which non-Leaf player would you most like to play for the Leafs? And no, you <laughs> cannot pick McDavid, Crosby, McKinnon, that type of situation. I put out a question that I asked everyone, like, okay, non-Leafs questions, because this is supposed to be a podcast about the NHL. So someone's like, okay, which non-Leafs do you want the Leafs to trade for? <laughs> yes, I figured uh, I'd I'll throw just... that in there just because I knew that you would have to think about it and it would be fun. I think the the Leafs should try to acquire players not on the Leafs. I'd try to acquire a, a couple of young Swedish defensemen who can move the puck up the ice. Maybe a Rasmus Sandin and a Timothy Lilligren. <laughs> you know, I like in all seriousness though, I would probably want Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know what? Maybe <laughs> give me Connor one of them. David. After Austin Matthews goes to Arizona at the end of his contract, and then there's that year of awkwardness afterwards, Connor McDavid's contract is up in Edmonton, and then he'll come home to Toronto. Yeah, just wild conspiracy theories. But yeah, I I would think um, if, even if, like not even, which player would you want on your favorite team that currently isn't there? Um, Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes, if you remove the superstars, which McDavid, Crosby, McKinnon... Kucherov, like that type. I mean, are 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 they not superstars? Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr. If you're, Since a, they're too- if you're a rookie, like I just don't think you're quite in that category yet. Okay, just because to me they're must see TV. To me they're defensemen who, if they're playing, I want to watch them. If, and I'm flipping through the channels, and there are some good players in this league. Nikita Kucherov. To me, he's not must-see TV, but Kale McCarr is, and Quinn Hughes is. So to me, doesn't that make them superstars? Mm, I think entertainment value versus superstar are different things. Okay, that's a fair point. Yeah. Um, But definitely, I would say uh, Colorado and Vancouver fans are spoiled, Um, especially because they also have Nathan McKinnon and Elias Pettersson, respectively. And uh, Elias uh, Nathan McKinnon's making what six point three million dollars mm-hmm. for the next couple seasons. It's just stupid. We talked about like some poor contracts in the NHL. Let's talk about how gross that one is. Yeah, way to bet on yourself by taking a six-year deal at a low cap hit, Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, fire your agent. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, we should get out of here. Uh, Rachel, you got anything special on the go this week? No, I am chilling, and I'm going to be a happy camper. And I am attending the Leafs-Devils game tonight. That is going to be fun. I uh, going to be a lot of stories, I think, that come out of that night that you won't be able to release on the air. But Okay, so serious question. Do I wear my Nico Heischer jersey, my Damon Severson jersey, or a Leafs jersey, or neither? Hmm, that's a really good question. Damon Severson <laughs> scored on his own net. <laughs> To help the New Jersey Devils beat oh, the Leafs last David. time, so can you just tell him thanks because that was awesome. Will and do. I, I actually do really like him as a player. I think he's very underrated. Ooh, maybe the Leafs should trade for him. I mean, I don't think he wants to play in New Jersey anymore. I don't think anyone does. But Cody CC you know, for Damon Severson. Let's go. 
Who, I mean, the cap hits match up, right? I don't think that that's going to happen. Although I could be wrong. But we're getting out of here. Yeah, we are. Have fun at that New Jersey Devils game, Rachel. And yeah, we'll see you next week, everybody. Uh, enjoy. The, I guess the All-Star break will be coming up next week. Yeah, and maybe we'll talk about be- what we'd like to see at the All-Star game more if we <sighs> even want it at all. Or maybe we'll find something that people actually want to hear about. We'll see. We'll, 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 figure, we'll figure out a topic that people are going to care about because the All-Star game is tricky. Everyone talks about it, but do we care that much about it no. when, all, when <laughs> all we do is complain about it and talk about the stupid jerseys and no one even pays attention to it on the Sunday afternoon? It's just kind of on there in the background. Exactly. Alrighty, well, we'll be back next Tuesday with uh, more fun stuff and... I'll still be in a good mood, more than likely. <laughs> All right, keep eating those kale chips, uh, Rachel, and uh, hang in there. Try not to suffer any more major injuries. Thank you for listening to the Staff and Graph podcast. You can check out Rachel Dory's work at The First Pass, and Ian Tullock's written work can be found at The Athletic and The Leafs Geeks podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this. Also, be sure to follow these nerds on Twitter, at Rachel Dory and at Ian Graff.